Support for the show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as the inventor of the Swisher diet. The only things you eat are salad and deep-fried marshmallows. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Jonathan Neiman, the co-founder of Sweet Green. It's a fast, casual restaurant that serves salads with 87 locations around the country. Unlike most salad restaurants, they've raised tens of millions of dollars in venture capital from people like Steve Case. Jonathan, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks for having me. You know, it's actually Steve who was always saying I should talk to you, which was great, which I always wanted to. Because I'm very interested in how new companies are formed. And we've interviewed the, the people from Phil's. There's a bunch of, of companies coffee companies mostly, actually, oddly enough, that have raised a lot of money from venture capitalists. But it's unusual for a restaurant type of chain to think. So first, why don't you take me through how you founded Sweetgreen? And it's, they're all over the place. You can't you find them everywhere. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how you came to do that. Sure. So Sweetgreen started 11 years ago. Uh, we were students at Georgetown, mm-hmm. you know, senior year, trying to figure out what we were going to do with our life. Right. And had a simple problem. I had nowhere to eat Mm -hmm. and saw the world in which food was either fast and cheap and really bad for you. Right. Or it was delicious, slow and good. Right. And wanted to create a... You didn't like buoy mongers? I went to Georgetown. (laughs) You did? I was a Georgetown graduate. Sure was. Yeah, Hoya Sachs. Yeah, you know, we actually... It was just there last weekend. We were writing our business plan at buoy mongers. Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea was... a sandwich shop near Georgetown University where everybody goes. Yeah. It's really great. It's actually great. The idea was creating a restaurant that, or a place to eat that made you feel excited to eat it, good while you were eating it, good right after, and good many years after. Mm -hmm. And all restaurants before had really only solved half of the problem, right? Either excited to eat and delicious while you're eating it, or felt made you feel good and were good for you long term, but no one had optimized across the four stages Mm -hmm. of food. And we wanted to create a place that made you, you know. Why restaurants? What did you major in at Georgetown? Studied business. For Mm -hmm. for me, it started with. You were in the business school. I was in the the MSBS. Yeah, and I just wanted to, we, first of all, it was, a, it was this friendship with my two partners, but mm-hmm. also it was wanting to create something. All of our parents were first-generation immigrants and entrepreneurs, and we always saw a world in which we wanted to create something that, a business that had a big impact on the world. And being at this, you know, kind of, I'm 33 years old, on the 
upper edge of the millennial, mm -hmm. saw a world in which our generation and the generation after us was not going to accept the food system right. that we were being handed. Mm -hmm. It was not, you know, McDonald's did not speak to us. Chipotle, right. these places did not make sense for us. Mm -hmm. And there was going to be a McDonald's. Not even Chipotle. Not even Chipotle. There was, <laughs> going, Chipotle. There was going to be a McDonald's of our generation. Mm -hmm. What Starbucks did for coffee. Sure. And we saw an opportunity to mm -hmm. completely create a, a new type of food system and an iconic brand that spoke to this and generation. And there hadn't been that many salad-oriented. There's a few, you have a few competitors. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But there hadn't been very many salad-oriented places. Yeah, and it was, it was, salad was always and still is just kind of the first act mm -hmm. of, and where we chose salads because it's, it's a great way to focus on vegetables, which focuses on the soil and really build that supply chain in that way and build mm -hmm. our, our brand around real food. But the vision long term is to be way beyond salads. Mm -hmm. um, today, I, you know, 35, 40% of our, our menu is warm bowl, sold in warm bowls and a lot of hot food. Mm -hmm. Over time, salads will just be kind of how I think about it, our books, yeah, our right. Amazon books, and we will expand oh, way, be way beyond yeah. salads. So you started this thing and you, DC is not the center for venture capital. There's Steve Case and Ted Leonsis, and I think that's it. And Correct. a couple of guys yeah. that they work with. And I, I say guys, cause they're all guys, but there's not much venture going on in that part of the world. Yeah, and for the first six years, we had no venture money. To open our first restaurant, we raised money from 50 people mm -hmm. and it was $300,000. Who was it from, your parents? It was a college professor, a college classmate, someone we met on a plane, mm -hmm. an uncle, all our old bosses as the, from when we were interns. It was- I So mean, it was like $10,000 each. Yeah, it was, it was less than that on mm -hmm. average. It was like a Kickstarter before there was Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. We were raising like $5,000 And, and you were person. saying what? We want to open a restaurant that's a salad restaurant. We want to open a restaurant that it was farm to table fast food. Mm -hmm. That was the pitch. It was. It was- it was these two things that shouldn't go together, which is very high quality food in a very quick, mm -hmm. casual environment. Mm -hmm. And we had a tiny little space right across from our dorm. It was 500 square feet on, right. if you, you yeah. remember the little tavern. Oh yeah. So we took over the little tavern. Oh, that place. Yeah. In the corner on that weird alley where yeah. they had burgers, they that, had real greasy that was burgers, it. That really was, good greasy burgers. That was the one. So yeah. we took that tiny little space. Yeah. And Why was it open? Did they close? It, it closed. It became a Philly cheesesteak, and then and mm -hmm. then it was empty when we were there. Right. Yeah. And so we took that over and near it was, Dixie Liquors. Exactly. So people would go get beer and then go get a, and, a greasy burger. And now they're now they're getting mm -hmm. organic food. Yeah, it is there. I just I was at CB2, which is right near next yeah. to you. So yeah. so the first you know raised three hundred thousand dollars from family and friends, and then it was. The next five years was us building a network and asking for money and getting advice or asking for advice and getting money. Mm -hmm. But it, we raised about just over $10 million in the first five years. These are from professional investors. No, no. I, some professionals, some angels, some, you know, mentors of ours, whether it was Walter Robbs, you know, the one of the CEOs of Whole Foods mm -hmm. or Danny Meyer or people like that. who were in, saw what you were doing. Saw what we were doing and gave us angel investment checks. Mm -hmm. um, and so we did that for the first... Five years, raised about $10 million, mm -hmm. got to about 20, 25 restaurants mm -hmm. and had just started to expand outside of D.C. We were in Boston, Philly, Boston, and New York at this point. And then Steve and Ted came in. Right. So both of them, wow. That's a big, that's a big, <laughs> you have a lot of patience. I know them very well. <laughs> yeah, they, know. No, they've been great. Um, so how did you attract them? This is Steve Case and Ted Leonsis, the early AOL executives. We, we've CEO attracted pretty much all of our investors as customers first. So they had been using. They were using. There was, you know, we had, we had now had twenty restaurants in D.C. Steve was eating it, and and one of uh, 
one of Steve's associates or one of one of the partners at the firm. Uh, his name's Evan Morgan. Mm-hmm. Was a good became a good friend and was helping us as, helping us with the business, helping us think about capital structure and and things mm-hmm. like that. And he then introduced it to Steve. The revolution. Yeah, and Steve actually was a personal investor to start and then moved in into moved revolution. in and and then we did we did our first. Uh, so how much did you raise and how much have you raised in total? Today we've raised about 150 million. And that's Beyonce. Who else has moved in? Uh, Henry Ellenbogen at T Rowe Price. Mm-hmm. Ah, Henry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a good investor. Very good. He's yeah. the best. Yeah, he is. He's from Baltimore. He's in Baltimore. So what was the idea of using venture capital? Because restaurants don't do that. Like the pressure restaurants are notoriously difficult, and you don't really have a restaurant, do you? It's sort of there's not that many places they sit in them. How do you look at them? There are seats in some of them. There are seats. You know, mm-hmm. we, we see us as building a food platform. And mm-hmm. the way to think about it is... Okay, I want to you know, hear this. Food platform. Y- yes. Go so, ahead. so the way to think about it is restaurants, we're content creators. Mm-hmm. So think about it in the, in the media world. Oh, all right. Okay. Whereas, whereas a restaurant creates content. So mm-hmm. our, you know, our salads, our, our hits, our series, mm-hmm. right? Most restaurants, you know, if you're just in, if you just have your restaurant itself, you own your platform, you go direct to consumer. The mm-hmm. world is now shifting where there's a there's some sort of digital disintermediation of the customer. Mm-hmm. Some in in the media world, you had, you know, networks and distributors that took the content and distributed it. Mm-hmm. In our world, you now have these platforms, these the Uber Eats of the world. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to be a content creator and a food platform. So a full vertically integrated food system from supply chain, production, content creation and ordering, which is the platform. Right. And I think that's what's interesting in terms of how we're positioning the restaurant is having that direct relationship with our customers so mm-hmm. we can better understand them, better understand their taste profile, their nutrition profile, how they live their life, and then be able to create different kinds of food for them right. and also meet them wherever they are. Right. Right. So over time, we see us not as a restaurant company, mm-hmm. but really this food ecosystem. Oh. So restaurants of all different shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. We have delivery on demand or Sweetgreen Outpost, which is a kind of like a batch delivery service. Mm-hmm. And then being able to order in many, many different ways, whether mm-hmm. it's voice ordering, text ordering, Slack ordering. Right. We want to take these trends you've seen in e-commerce right. and apply it to food, which is so huge. You know, food is one and a half trillion dollars. Right, right. And it's 1% di- so, digitally. Uh, so applying all those digital Platform, so we'll get to that yes. in the next. But the, but the con- but restaurants are notoriously hard for for margins and very tight margins. It's not a business that has attracted venture money because of that, because it's not something that's I guess scalable would be the right word. But you think it is? It is. Yeah, it is scalable. Okay. Yes, it is scalable. Well, I guess McDonald's. Is, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. You look at you know the, the example we use is, is Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I think as the best you know, global iconic brand that scaled food or food and mm-hmm. coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to do that for real food. Right, um, for any kind of real food. And, you know, they've done it in, in a different era. So their innovation was really on format in terms mm-hmm. of store format, whether it's all different shapes of sizes of that Starbucks exists, whether mm-hmm. it's in hospitals or airports or universities in your office, etc. How do, you know, whether it's Via or the pods, how do we do that for real food? Mm-hmm. And take this promise, this trust of our supply chain and the way we source and our understanding of the customer, mm-hmm. and then meet you in all of these in all of so, these different channels. So, what do you compare? Who who did you look to then for inspiration? I guess, or wasn't there anybody doing this? No one really doing it. And I think at different stages of the business, we've looked to different people. Mm-hmm. So you Starbucks, know, you know, we've looked to Starbucks uh, in the early days. We definitely looked to Whole Foods in terms mm-hmm. of the the food ethos that they had. Looked at a brand like Patagonia and their mm-hmm. commitment to sustainability. 
Um, but also looked at companies, you know, maybe like sounds cliche, but like Apple mm-hmm. and their ecosystem strategy of both products, experiences, and services. Mm-hmm. And so our idea is just applying that to food. Applying that to food. Now, what's the challenge when it's food and not, say, a cup of coffee? Because that's a very easy delivery. Complexity. So there's there's definitely a lot of complexity in terms of the operation and people matter, right? People mm-hmm. and the the service matters. The thing about you know, I use the media example. Right, where we create hits and then we have a platform where we distribute it, mm-hmm. which hits makes, being the salads, the salads and the bowls and you know the meals. Uh, but the difference is, you, you know, you make Game of Thrones once; it's really, really, really hard to make. Right, it's it costs like a, a lot of money, yep. but it scales really, really well. Mm-hmm. For us, you got to come up with it, but then you got to replicate it every single time in each store. So what we've spent a lot of time thinking about is how do we redesign the operating environment mm-hmm. to also be scalable. Mm-hmm. So how do we think about, you know, the processes within the kitchen, how we build technology that makes it easier for our store teams to execute real food from scratch. Mm-hmm. One thing about Sweetgreen is not only do we have local supply chain, but we make all our food from scratch in every location every mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. So like our dressings are made from scratch, our everything's roasted from scratch, every, like on the hour, so it's not distributed hour. like a McDonald's. So it's when not distributed. Pull, I assume rip open a plastic package. And but what what's allowed us to do that is getting really uh, just being intentional and thoughtful about the process. So we mm-hmm. built something that we call Sweetgreen OS mm-hmm. inside of the kitchen. OS. Yeah. Okay. So our operating All system, right. which I I, I used the example. You it's saw like, the McDonald's movie, which was funny. Yes. When they were when they were on the tennis court, it's, I thought that was brilliant. Love that scene. Isn't that a great and scene? And we do we do we do that both mm-hmm. in terms of like the physical mm-hmm. space and how do you design a physical space. Right. For for something that can be executed right. in a consistent and mm-hmm. scalable way, but also what's the, what I say, the Uber turn-by-turn instructions, mm-hmm. right? So when you're working in a kitchen, how do you make it easier to not mess things up? And, right. get, and so you can focus on the consumer experience mm-hmm. and not, okay, what needs to go in this bowl? How much chicken do I need to make? Mm-hmm. You know, How much kale do I need to chop? What are my sales going to be today? How do I order? What, what, how much food to order? Mm-hmm. So you think about you know, an, an OS that tells a head coach or, or GM, here's what your sales are going to be for the day based mm-hmm. off of weather, events, your recent trends, et cetera. Based off that, here's what it is spread out through the day by hour. And mm-hmm. the product mix that, that's going to be there by channel right, for you de- need to have it in there. delivery versus in store. Then it tells you how much, it, it, essentially we have an app for our oven mm-hmm. and, and our cold prep that says, whoever's running that, here's exactly what you need to make when. Mm-hmm. So it's re- you have just enough food ready to right. be then made right. for the consumer. And then the cool thing about what we do is because our food is made, it's essentially like made mise en place. So mm-hmm. what that means is we make, the, the food is prepped and then it's assembled. In right. a customizable way. Prepped before. Pre- you're prepped just before, mm-hmm. and then so when an order comes in, it takes us just seconds to put it together. Right. Today we have about 120 ingredients, um, which means we can make combinations, two to the 120th mm-hmm. combinations with those ingredients. Right. So it takes our experience, it makes it very customizable, and our vision for it is to make a personalized food experience. Mm-hmm. So your menu should be different than someone else's menu based mm-hmm. off of your taste and your nutrition. Right. And what you like and what makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And so when you're putting these prices in place, there's been a bunch of restaurants that have tried to do this, like Eats in San Francisco and some, there's been a bunch of others haven't worked as well, which is, you know, the idea of putting prices in place makes sense because McDonald's did it. I mean, they just did. That's yeah, they- I, I, my, my, my theory on this mm-hmm. and, and, you know, our philosophy is art and science. Mm-hmm. We're at, at first we're a brand, 
Right. At our core, we are a. So food. everybody that goes in knows that this is what they're getting. We're a food company first. Mm-hmm. If you're, you can have the best tech, the best process, doesn't matter. If right. the food is not delicious, like you say, content is king. The, the user experience can be beautiful if the food is not delicious and food is emotional. Right. If it's right. not, if it doesn't taste good and you don't have right. like that trust, nothing matters. So you know, our team is built around you know great chefs, great supply chain a huge focus on the culinary credibility mm-hmm. about what of who we are and what that experience mm-hmm. is and then you you apply the tech right so you can't have one without the other and before you know everyone before us it's either you were a great restaurant that was not scalable right. delicious food but no process right. or you had all the process but no no culinary credibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need to merge the two. All right. We're here talking with Jonathan Neiman. He is the founder of Sweetgreen. It's a fast food casual, correct? Is that how it is? Healthy fast food. Healthy fast food. How many stores do you have now? We have 90 restaurants. All right. We're going to talk about the scaling of that and how you operate in the food business with some technology too uh, when we get back. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. We're here with Jonathan Neiman. He's the co-founder of Sweetgreen, and you founded it with two friends, right, from, yeah. from Georgetown. Yeah. When you were thinking of entrepreneurialism, when you're, when you're a younger person, most of people moved to California, essentially, most of most entrepreneurial efforts have gone on there. And there's a, your competitor, you have one competitor that's pretty big is um, in salads, is right? Or one or two, you have a couple in the area. How do you differentiate between you and them? Because I, you know, they pop up in San Francisco, most things pop up first in San Francisco, you see them come and go like eats and various things. How do you think about yourself with competitors or don't you look at it that way? Well, for us, we have a lot of small regional competitors. And at the end of the day, anyone who serves food is right. in a way a sure, competitor. Sure, sure. But, you know, I want a salad. Therefore, I'll go to sweet. You know, they're, they're, or I want a taco or I want a... Yeah, so the there's thing... all of a sudden a bunch of sushi places that are opening fast, <laughs> fast food sushi places. Yeah, so for us, it, it starts with 
our brand and the trust. Mm-hmm. So what we stand for, and a lot of that comes from our supply chain. Yeah, let's talk about that, the supply chain. So you, you get everything locally in every restaurant area? Uh, not everything locally, but we have a local supply chain set up in every city that we're in. So okay. we think about our, our company almost market by market. Right. Uh, we work with a combination of small, medium, and large farmers. Um, and large portion of what we do is organic, and then the rest is pretty much the rest of that is local. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it's less about these monikers of what that is, but it is about the soil. Right. So unlike most restaurants, we don't buy food directly from a distributor. Right. We go straight to our growers. We get to know the growers themselves. And yeah, the so con- no Cisco. In- no Cisco. <laughs> so we, we get to know the growers themselves. Even my kid knows about Cisco. He's like, oh my God, they delivered Cisco food. I'm like, how do you know that? Yeah, and, and the thing is, yeah. you don't know what you're getting then. Right. So for us, we get to know the farmer, and it really starts with the soil, because that's mm-hmm. where the taste and the nutrition comes from. Mm-hmm. From there, we establish relationships with them, and we actually build our menus based off of the supply. Of what you can get, yeah. So it's, it's, it's how a high-end chef would build their menu. Sure. And that means our food will be different in different, in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world eventually, mm-hmm. and will be different at different times of the year. We celebrate that. We celebrate the fact so that food... So no more this, no more that. Yeah, that food should taste different at, at different places. We, don't, mm-hmm. we reject this like homogeneous food system that... Some you, you create a, this burger and it should be the same everywhere. Well, exactly. there's some people like that. Like when you think about it, some people like knowing what a Starbucks is like. There's a certain comfort in but, Starbucks. But we think so. that's that's actually right. something we're we're combating. That's a right. problem. Right. That's not how the world creates food. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how humans got want wanted to just be comfortable in this consistency. Sure. Yeah. But. If you go back in time before we kind of created this food system that we now have here, which was created to solve hunger, Mm -hmm. which now has created all these other issues, we're trying to unwind that and and remind people that you should eat with the seasons and you should eat what is available because that is... One more delicious, it's better than for the environment and it's better for you. For the local scene. So you get, in each thing you get locally... Things. What do you do nationally? Is there things that you distribute? Yeah, nationally? so there's definitely things we do nationally. So we have a lot of bowls. Uh, yeah, yeah. So bowls, olive oil, you know, organic olive oil, organic wild rice. There's definitely things that come nationally. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's all about transparency. It's about actually knowing transparency and traceability, mm-hmm. knowing where all our food comes from at any given moment, which is very unique. So to mm-hmm. know in this store, in this bowl, our lettuce came from here. Mm-hmm. And being able to share that with you mm-hmm. is very unique. Most restaurants have have about 20% traceability into where their food comes from. We're approaching 100% traceability into where all of our food comes and from. And your customers are interested in this. I think it creates this level of trust. And so mm-hmm. in all of our restaurants, we have a local list where you get to see exactly which farm or which grower it comes from. And it will say what's local and what's from, you know, your New York, you'll say what's from California. Mm-hmm. But it's that trust of saying, you know, we're proud of it and we will show you under the hood of where everything so comes So you wouldn't from. ship some California tomatoes into New York when it's the middle of winter. You'd have to because everybody wants tomatoes all the time. Yes, right? there's, so there's certain things that you do ship, mm-hmm. you, you do have year long. Right. Um, but the idea is by because the menu shifts five times a year, it shifts seasonally, mm-hmm. a large portion of things are always available Locally, locally. Okay, so when you were when you were doing this, how do you look at competition then? Because again, there's been a bunch of salad startups that you see them, or whatever, or whatever genre people want to go into um, of this fast. Is it fast casual? Is that the the right term? Chipotle, fast, I think, started fast, it. Fast casual. I, right. I how do you look food. at it? What do you, fast food. You know, fast I say food. Chipotle is a competitor. So is McDonald's. Right. Right. Over time, we're trying to get more people to eat this way, mm-hmm. and so. You know, the pie has gotten bigger as more people have gotten in because we're educating the customers against 
this process. But you know, remember McDonald's system. went into salad. Nobody wanted salad from McDonald's. I mean, they were like, we're trying to be healthy. I'm like, nobody wants healthy food from McDonald's. Well, you there, know? There's no trust. I right. Mean, you got to ask. Well, it, you can't even think about it. You go talk to generation, like a Gen Z and ask them mm-hmm. about McDonald's. Right. And they don't want to eat that. Mm-hmm. They, they're completely rejecting that. Right, right. So you have to offer them something else. So talk a little bit about putting processes in place because I'm very interested in the way restaurants are changing because they, it's one of, the, one of the areas that has been sort of immune to technology. It, it seems like it. It's done very, I don't know. It just is not, it seems immune to technology, even delivery, even the ability to get things. And there's been a, a startup after startup I've seen that's tried to get the food elsewhere or to move it around. Talk about how you think about the technology in the food preparation. What is growing? Is it the app, the on-demand Yeah, so, the, so, so mobile's been a huge unlock. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, that, that, that has been a huge unlock in the business. If you think about restaurants, you have a classic supply and demand issue, um, or at least a restaurant that has a lot of demand, where you have mm-hmm. a lot of demand in a very short period. Like a Shake Shack. The other night I did that. It was, I was near a Shake Shack, saw a million millennials in front of me. I, I ordered it online and I had it before almost all of them. It was fascinating. Right. And you know, if you, so if you think about Sweetgreen when we started 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you, have a, you have a line, of, a line, just one line, mm-hmm. where people come in and you can serve X number of people. An hour. Right. Let's say 200 people Yeah, they move fast. Your lines are really long. But at lunchtime, you may have demand for 20 times that, in that mm-hmm. one, but only for that one hour of lunch. Mm-hmm. But you're, a restaurant, if you think about it as like a utilization game, right. you're open for 12 hours right. and you're utilized for two. Right, mostly. Mostly. Yeah. So how do you leverage technology to capture more demand in that peak and mm-hmm. also spread it into the shoulders? Right. So for us, what our, what our app did was allow us to capture 5x the demand in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. In terms of we've, we, at that point, redesigned our stores to be mobile first, almost like responsive mm-hmm. design with second, third, fourth lines to facilitate the they online deliver. orders. Mm-hmm. And today about 50% of our business is done through our mobile. Wow, through, done that's through a our lot. App. So the people come order it on the app and then come in and just grab it from a bag. Exactly, so. that means we have over a million customers on our app mm-hmm. um, and that's it's growing rapidly because it, it creates this convenience for the customer their experience starts to get personalized over time and it just becomes really sticky. Mm-hmm. For us, you know, while we are a restaurant, the difference between us and most restaurants is it's very habitual. Right. Our app users come four times a month. Mm-hmm. That means they're, it's, they're treating it more like coffee mm-hmm. than they are like a treat. Right. Right, it's it's fuel for them. It's a right. trusted place right. where they can just go to. Why don't you think restaurants do avail themselves to that? It was I was uh, getting back to McDonald's. I was in a McDonald's the other day. I don't know why. I think I wanted the, had, had a French fry desire or something. And they, when I walked in, they tried to push me towards their screen that you order on. But the person who was doing it didn't know how to use the screen. And then it took nine hundred steps, and I could have just walked up to the counter. It was a really interesting thing. And I was sitting there going, "Why are you deploying this technology in a place that's right next to a line that I can see is faster?" It was just, it was just interesting. And I started to ask them. I thought, "Oh, this is ridiculous. I can't." <laughs> but I was fascinated by it. How many steps it took to order? And I thought, "This isn't the way." Putting a screen in a restaurant to do ordering does make sense because I was also at another uh, place, I think it was in Europe, where you go to a table and there's an iPad there and you mm-hmm. order. There's no people. They just, only the people that was bring you stuff out and you order it on there and there's no waiters, there's no waiting and stuff like that. And I was really, I'm fascinated by how food is, how food delivery is changing. It is all around screens, like how you order on screens and what you do. Well, screens today, tomorrow, mm-hmm. tomorrow voice. Uh-huh. So on an Amazon app or something? Yeah, like you're that? on your life. Eventually, I mean, it's mm-hmm. the, the screen is, you see, you feel it. It's slowly disappearing from right. our lives. Right. So explain that to me. What, how do you, because I, I know these restaurants are slowly integrating this stuff in. Well, no one's really done it well yet. Yeah. I think, I think Domino's is 
probably the closest to have as an app has who has done it and have it integrated into these mm-hmm. other services. Mm-hmm. But eventually, it's it's you got to be able to meet like meet the customer where they are. If they want to mm-hmm. use voice, if they want to be in person. You, to your point, the in-store is not going to go away. Right. It's just going to be supplemented by all of these other channels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so to your question about technology, mobile has been a huge, a huge piece of this. And what that's done, you know, payment and, and creating so yeah. a, a mobile payment option. Which is quick. Order. Now is delivery. So delivery is about a $30 billion market today. Mm-hmm. Depending on what estimate you believe, it's going to grow 10x in the right, next Are you talking about delivery? Years. So who do you use, like Uber or Google? Or? So today we don't we don't use it at all. We're about mm-hmm. we're, we're preparing our own delivery launch. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so, wow, your own. Yes. Yeah, so we'll be partnering with logistics service uh, mm-hmm. for the actual third for the delivery, mm-hmm. but the ordering itself, the platform will be native, a, a sweet so green we'll be native. Eats or no, what? so you'll be ordering on sweet green. And again, that's we want to own the customer mm-hmm. in that way. We want to have the relationship with them. This is that media example where we do not want, you know, God bless all the platforms that are that are there to help certain companies. But for us, they take a huge cut, mm-hmm. and then they take that customer. And right. They have, have the relationship right. with them, and we've seen this story before. Mm-hmm. We've seen it with tra- in travel. You've seen it in media. Mm-hmm. You've seen it in in retail. Right. And we have a strong brand that people love, and we can provide a better experience by having that direct relationship with the customer. So everything they do goes up, and then you might utilize an Uber Eats or something like for that. for the logistics. So they wouldn't order on Uber Eats. Correct. They'd be ordering. You're ordering on Sweetgreen. How do they feel about that? Because that, their goal is to own the customer. <laughs> he says nothing. He just, he just gave me it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But how do you get convince them to do that? The power of our brand. Right. I think there's there, there's always you know can't say a lot about it because we're about to we're because la- I think we're la- we're a, lot of, a lot of the other uh, food services are sort of giving over their world to these things. Correct, and I think the power- generate. A, 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 I would assume they think about it as supplemental income and rather than the income. Very short sighted. Yeah. And I can't say a lot about it. We're mm-hmm. we're going to launch our delivery in January um, mm-hmm. on on our platform, and then we'll be able to say a lot more about how we yeah. were able to do yeah. that. And now, how much do you imagine that's going to be part of your service? I'd say in the next year to two years, it's somewhere between twenty and twenty five, twenty to thirty percent. But uh, half of your stuff is on the app, though. You're saying is that right? Half is on the app, but That's it's being, pick, uh, being, picked, pick, picked, picked being picked up. Picked up, right? Um, and these deliveries go to offices or where? Offices, homes, anywhere, wherever it is. So I think delivery is an on-demand channel. So mm-hmm. like one-to-one customer delivery will be, let's say, a 20, 25 percent channel in the short term. Mm-hmm. Over time, as the physical infrastructure shifts and the local, like the logistics infrastructure, gets it, so we can get deliveries under 15 minutes. Sure. That's a different world. If you look at China, where you can now yeah. have food in under 15 minutes. It's amazing. That's through, not Alibaba. It's Alibaba. Yeah, yeah. Alibaba. Yeah, and through, so what's the story? H, it's, ah, I'm blanking on Hema. Hema. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right? So if you can do that and get your food in under 15 minutes and, and not have to pay for delivery right. or pay very, something very, very marginal, mm-hmm. that changes, like, why would I go outside? Yeah. And so I think over time, if we think about, like, five years Five or more years out, mm-hmm. you could look at delivery being a fifty-plus percent channel. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? It's bad. It's to me, it's super fascinating. I was just, I just got a second home in DC, and I tried very hard to shop locally, very hard. But one couldn't find the goods. Two surly people. Three mm-hmm. me wandering around stores. The whole idea of wandering, hunt and gather, was insane. It, and I went to Amazon finally. Yeah, it's most of us with the commodity stuff, not for the cool stuff. And so there were two stores I shopped at. One was called Home Away on 14th Street. Another one was called Logan Hardware. Mm-hmm. 
The reason I stopped at Logan Harbor? Our headquarters was used to be right on oh. top of Logan Harbor. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Because it's a great store. Yeah. You know why? They're just pleasant, friendly, wonderful people helping you. Now, they didn't have as much selection as I like, but they sort of did. Mm-hmm. They had enough. And the other home way, they had in unique products, which I, couldn't, which I didn't feel like searching for on Amazon. But everything else, it was really fascinating of who could provide me the delivery, the speed, and the selection. And it was fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to write about it. And but. what's going to shift is mm-hmm. is the infrastructure piece is also mm-hmm. going to shift. The way we, where, where we produce produce food is going to change and what the actual layouts of restaurants, there will be restaurants that will have to be optimized for delivery. So the restaurant looks different, it has to act different, it has to be digitally enabled in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be ghost and virtual kitchens. Right, so your brand is very important. That trust and that customer, right. that demand, know. the demand generation mm-hmm. is important. But the food can come from anywhere, and it may right. be easier. Is it a ghost kitchen. Yeah, ghost or virtual kitchen. Right. What that means is your food can also be made. It, it unlocks a lot of the constraints around what the food can be. Mm-hmm. When you have kitchens that are not consumer facing, and you can almost treat them like servers that you can turn on and turn off. Right. Right. You can huh. light them up in different parts of the country in the world right. as you have demand. And as you want to expand your menu, you can you can think imagine how oh salads can now become more warm food can become breakfast because right. you just pop you're popping up additional servers mm-hmm. and you have the digital connection sure. to your customer the sure. menu changes on your app mm-hmm. and then it's delivered to you yeah so things are gonna sh- you know like I said it's one one percent of food is ordered online today. It's going to change. You know, you look at where this was in com- in e-commerce, in regular commerce, yeah. in regular commerce. You know, it's what's about approaching thirty percent this year. And mm-hmm. food's going to move probably quicker, quicker than it that. did for commerce. All right, we're here talking to Jonathan Neiman. He is the founder of Sweet Green with with other founders. Um, we're talking about where food is going. When we get back, I want to talk about the larger food ecosystem and where it goes, including Amazon and Whole Foods and other companies getting into this. When we get back. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. We're here with Jonathan Neiman. He is the co-founder of Sweetgreen, which is a salad store, essentially. You get salads and lunches and things like that. I'm curious why you picked salads to start with, just because you thought that's what millennials like or that's the food kind of thing. You didn't go with other kinds of food. Yeah, we started with it because it focused on the supply chain. Mm-hmm. And it was something that really highlighted the vegetable. Mm-hmm. And we think there's just, you know, the vegetable has been uncelebrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much yes, flavor and like nutrition in it. Eat your vegetables, yeah. And we wanted to make, the, we wanted to make vegetables sexy. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to make it fun and cool. And, it, and that's been part of what part of our brand is this cultural relevancy. Mm-hmm. The reason we ran, ran a music festival for seven years, the reason we do these chef collaborations, mm-hmm. whether they're with Dan Barber or Kendrick Lamar, the, these things all create this, this relevancy 
where vegetables have never been celebrated in that way. All right, so you're not a restaurant. You're you're, you're talking an experiential kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Look at I, you know we look at companies like Nike, mm-hmm. right? And the athlete is is their superstar for us. It's mm-hmm. the chef. Mm-hmm. And so how do we create that desire around healthy eating? The same, you know, what I tell my team all all the time is Coca Cola sells happiness. Yeah. Yeah, they're the greatest brand right? in the world. And they were, they and, have been. And we're going to tell people... They're having trouble now. And we're going to tell people, water. like, eat your vegetables because right. it's good for you. Like, yes, it's good for you, but you have to compete on taste. You got to compete on experience. You got to compete on brand and, like, that just desire for being so, a cool brand. So doing that, what's the fear is that people think of you as a chain, right? Because that's sort of the de- kiss of death among some people. Like, it, that it's your chain and you're too much... You know, I think about what happened at Chipotle. They were very hot and then they were not... Well, they had issues around safety foods. It was yeah. something that you all need to watch out Absolutely. for. Absolutely. You know, given salad. Yeah. But what is the dangers you're worried about in that when you think about that? Because I would think becoming a chain and, oh, it's a chain restaurant. My kids don't like chain restaurants. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's something that we're very conscious of. And how do we design unique experiences wherever Mm -hmm. we go? How does it feel different? And how do we, in different places, and play to that local community, Mm -hmm. no matter where we go? So our mission is to build healthier communities by connecting people to real food. And that shows up in different ways in different communities. And so we, we talk about this idea of intimacy at scale. How do we design restaurants in an in- intimate way to that community. What does the next restaurant look like? What is it? How It's one of the things that really shouldn't go because of digital because people like the experience of it. That, and the restaurants should remain. Restaurants in, in, will remain. Right. Restaurants should, will remain, like but out. they will have to find a place online as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've seen, it, we're, in a way, we're very lucky in food that we've got to see these industries before us be transformed mm-hmm. and have got to, it's, you know, history repeats itself in a lot of ways. So, you know, company that I, I look at as a, as a brand is Nike, mm-hmm. right? Nike Town is an amazing right. e- experiential and ex- environment. Yeah, you want to go there. But they have the Nike Run Club and the community on the app, but they also have the physical, mm-hmm. the, the actual Nike Run Club that mm-hmm. meets up at the store. You got to kind of have both of these. You right. know, Apple is a similar way. You know, 20% of Apple's sales come from their stores. Stores. But over 90% well, Ikea of did pe- it too, didn't they? Ikea as well. But 90% of people have probably been to an Apple store. It's an important part of that experience. Right. right. So you want them to go. So what happens in the stores? I'm, I'm thinking, how do you look at, say, the purchase of Amazon, uh, Whole Foods by Amazon? Did that surprise you? I thought it was really smart for Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about this idea of how you've had a lot of technology companies that didn't get food. Mm-hmm. And there's a culture to food that you have to get, similar to the way that there's a culture to technology mm-hmm. and building a technology company. Amazon can never crack food mm-hmm. and the culture and the tr- and like the trust around food, and so Whole Foods was really helped them in doing so. They also got it for they got a brand that had built over many decades for really for why, them a really good price. Why do you think Whole Foods sold then? They were having financial. they were having troubles. Yeah, they were having they were having troubles. I think that you know while they were so innovative for so many years, mm-hmm. uh, and I respect them a lot and their leadership a lot, mm-hmm. they failed to innovate and embrace technology soon enough. And mm-hmm. by the time you know, they hit some bumps. It was too late. It was too hard to, to change and innovate fast enough to meet the consumer. You right. had Instacart stealing their customers. Sure. You had Amazon coming in and offering a better experience. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have a, a brand, you have your core promise, but the consumer moves. Right. And you have to move with the consumer. And that's what Whole Foods failed to do. And technology, that's what technology is to us. It's just an enabler mm-hmm. of meeting the customer where they are. It's not technology for technology's sake. Do you see other tech companies moving into food? 
They've moved into entertainment, sure. They sure have, and nobody expects them to. You know, now it's Amazon, Google, Apple, all in entertainment, which is adjacent to their businesses. Yeah, haven't seen it yet. I mean, Amazon's, Amazon's, the, only Amazon's the only one. And Alibaba. And Alibaba. And they're not really allowed in this country yeah. yet. It, but it wouldn't surprise me. It will, it will happen. Food is such a major... Alibaba getting in this country? It's such a big... No, not Alibaba, Have but just more tech... you met politicians tech, of Washington? No, 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 not Alibaba, but just technology companies yeah. get, get coming yeah. after That's food. That's what I mean. Because it's just such a big opportunity. Mm-hmm. Who do you imagine? Who do, or would you think? I'm thinking of who might buy you. Well, Amazon's the only person I could think... Any company I could think of. A person. It is one person, really. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Do you think about that? We really play our own game. Mm-hmm. You know, we've always it's been 11 years and we, we, we have our own, we find our lane, we follow the customer, we use so our, we use our values. where does it go for you then? So you've got venture money, which brings a whole nother level of pressure. We like to take what we do in eight communities and take it to the world. Um, and you mean become a Starbucks, become your we, own? Yes, yeah, we, we'd like to be the biggest food company in the world. We see us as the McDonald's of our generation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is just, you know, the first 10 years, 11 years I'd say is, Building the the seeds that that brand the foundation of what what we are. Mm-hmm. Act two for us is how do we meet the customer in, on different channels beyond the restaurant? So sure. whether it's delivery and all these other forms, mm-hmm. um, how does the food expand? The categories go from salads to other places, and how do we go from eight cities to every you know all over the world? Right. So eight right now. Mm-hmm. Are there any abroad? Do you have any? No. No. All no. just we're just. What's in, the challenges of doing that? Well, just the logistical challenges. Just just you know operating challenges, but you know we actually because of the way our menus are constructed and the brand having such a local connection. Mm-hmm. I'm actually really excited about imagine what Suikoden would look like in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's a really exciting thing. Imagine what it would look like in different parts of the world. It would have to be very world. different. It yeah. would have to be very different, but right. our brand actually allows for that. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm, I don't have to be get sit here and be like, "Oh, what is what does our food yeah, yeah, will yeah. they like this yeah, there?" Yeah, Starbucks in Japan is very different. They had to really think they about did. how their food was different, but that went against their brand, which was That's all right. about the same things for us. It's we do that anyways. We're going to Houston next year. Right. And we go to Houston. What, what does the people of Houston want? Yeah, and we're already we our Houston menu is going to be different than our how? menu here. How? So for us, it's going to be uh, a little bit more hearty food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're testing some some warmer options and like mm-hmm. plates, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, we're actually testing wine and beer. Um, and then the vibe is also different. There's people who drive and they want to sit and there's more seating. So there's an example right. of like how we build bigger restaurants with more seating. Right. Seating in these restaurants. Yeah. Which people want. All right. So let me talk, let's finish up talking about sort of the challenges you face as two entrepreneurs who are, um, three entrepreneurs who are very young. You've raised an enormous amount of money. You've got a lot of stories. What, do you, what are some of the mistakes? You said you, you, were, you had Patty McCord, who I've interviewed, was one of your advisors. She's from Netflix in terms of people. I see right on your desk here you have Scott Belsky's book, The Messy Middle. Yeah. We're going to be talking to him. Yeah, Scott, you, Scott, it's a good friend. He used to actually be on our board. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what are the challenges? You Look at all your books. You have all your help, help business help. Oh, John Doerr, that one. You interviewed him and Malcolm. I loved, I loved the John Doerr book. Yeah, it was, it was it, an interesting book. Yeah. So talk about what's been hard for you. Let's see. That's a good question. So I think, you know, your job as an entrepreneur changes every year mm-hmm. and you have to, you have to be very conscious to switch gears, mm-hmm. uh, very conscious with each stage of the business of, okay, that was that stage. Now, how do I have, to, what, how do I lift and empower my team to do certain things that I was doing mm-hmm. so I can lead the company forward. Right. So there's a constant like change and this embrace, embracing of change as you grow. How many employees do you have now? Um, we have over 4,000 employees, about 200 in our, in our headquarters. And no franchises, right? No franchises. And you don't even want to do that? No. Because? Can't control the experience the way we want to. And right. 
quite honestly, the the returns of the of the restaurants are great, and we so have the capital, so why do it? Right. Other things, it's always people. You know, we're an execution business, and like any business, it's 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 building a culture to attract the best. Um, and for us, it's you have kind of like two businesses. You got the field teams and creating the best in-store experiences. Mm-hmm. And also, head coach is such an important role in our company. They are the ones that- That's cre- what they call them. That's what we call our, our GMs, yeah. a head coach. Um, we give our head coach equity because they're such an important part of just creating that experience for our customers. Mm-hmm. How we treat our team members and you know the, the way we pay them, the benefits we offer them, the development opportunities. There's a whole world in thinking about people in the field and right. in, in our restaurants. Then there's a whole other world of how we think about our team at the headquarters or in our regional offices. How do we attract, as a restaurant company, great tech talent? How do we, you know, how do we... What's your pitch to them? Well, we're, we're going to use technology to transform food and create the biggest food company in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's complex as hell. Do you want to solve challenging problems? Right. Or do you want to create another social media app? <laughs> do you want to... Th- That's a good pitch. I mean, it's, do you want... Do food, you want to ruin the world or do you want to feed it? Do you want to feed the world and mm-hmm. make the world a better place? Mm-hmm. And can, and the, the pitch, which is true, is could you imagine... Imagine the world with sweet green is the size of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Imagine how the... the environment would be different. Imagine how the jobs of these people that work work and are not making minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Imagine the health of the country because pretty much all of our problems start from food. Mm-hmm. Long term we see food as healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. long yeah, okay. long term that's right. where this the data and this understanding our consumer comes in is we want to understand how the food actually makes you feel and how that changes your life. Mm-hmm. And that's a better healthcare program than any insurance you can buy. All right. So, what are some of the challenges you face? What have you messed up? Entrepreneurs are listening. Yeah. They want to know, and everything's not hunky dory. Not letting go of people sooner when you know. Mm-hmm. When you, there's times when you know that someone's not working, mm-hmm. and yes. out of fear, um, fear, just all kinds of fears: fear of hurting their feelings, fear of not being able to do it without them. Especially as a young entrepreneur, you. you you sometimes hold on to people way too long. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a very scary thing to do to mm-hmm. let, let people go or bring in people to to help them. Those are usually the biggest lessons from where where, where I am. Is it's all about team, right? Like it's all about finding the best people, creating a container for them to do the best work mm-hmm. and empower them. And where empowering are you them to from? be great. We have people from you know. I think that one of the reasons for our success is a very diverse group of people, mm-hmm. both in terms of People and experience and ages and you know backgrounds. You know, we have people who've joined us from tech. You have people who've joined us from other iconic brands, places like Starbucks. Mm-hmm. You have people from Nike. You have people from Domino's, and then you have a lot of people from completely outside of food, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's not you know most food companies are created from people from other food companies. Right. For many years, we had completely actually rejected that. We looked at reimagine mm-hmm. the system and so we didn't want people who were stuck to this is how you do things. It was get really smart people and have them hack the system. Okay, one of the things that's really interesting is technology uses in the food collection, I guess you would call it. Now you guys are doing some really interesting things around blockchain. Explain. Yeah, so we've started... The blockchain. With, yeah, so we started you know, you hear this, the, the, the word... The application of The word of blockchain. Right. How do we use it? So we actually have a very great use for it. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we use blockchain to track and trace all of our ingredients, or not all of our ingredients, today, because but some of our Because you're worried about this idea of what happened at Chipotle where they had the bad salad, because this is a... So it started from a food safety perspective right, exactly. of, you know, when you saw the Chipotle thing, 
part of the issue was they didn't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. They could not pinpoint it at all. Where the salad was. Or where, what was where that ingredient what was came ingredient? from. Whatever got people sick. And so for us, it was, okay, so how do you apply this actually, pretty simple technology of, mm-hmm. of knowing where your food comes from. And so with that, we found this company called Ripe.io mm-hmm. that's trying to create- Ripe.io. Yeah. So okay. they're trying to create the blockchain of food. We've partnered with them to be kind of like customer number one. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is- not only tagged our ingredients, mm-hmm. uh, but also put sensors in the ground at the farms. So you have sensors that are tracking soil, different like variables in the soil as well right. as in the microclimate. Mm-hmm. So then now on the blockchain, when 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 it, we have it live on the public ledger, um, which it is today, mm-hmm. you're able to see the ingredient when it was picked, when it hit the store, the, the timestamps, but right. also. What was the soil? What were the, the so what was the soil health? What were the conditions in the air? Mm-hmm. And then where we actually track track some of the taste variables. So what is like the the sugar content, the salt content wow. in like a tomato? Right. So you're starting. They call it ripe.io because we're trying to optimize. So you get it at its most ripe point rather than having hard non-ripe tomatoes. So there. how do we? Yeah, exactly. So how mm-hmm. do we use this technology to over time figure out how to serve the tastiest food? Right. Not wow. just subjectively tasty, but actually the brightest, most explode in your mouth tasty mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. Why are so many companies scared of the block using the blockchain like this? Or are there more doing it? They're certainly none in food that I have talked to. Well, you saw Walmart just Walmart mm-hmm. just did it with yes, IBM, yes. and I think that's yeah. you know with them right. doing it, it's going to set a standard. That's that right. Walmart we were hoping did. to do it in, in our industry. Of mm-hmm. the idea of traceability is, hey, we know where our food comes from. Do you? Right. And if we, if we, our so goal, it'll be sort of the bot. You have to have that. Yeah, you're gonna. We're gonna have, it, and that that will play up. You talk about our moat, our competitive advantage is, mm-hmm. is a lot of it is our supply chain. It's what makes our food taste so good, and the mm-hmm. fact that we are proud of our suppliers and where our food comes from. And when you order food on your app, imagine you order delivery and you never see a restaurant. Mm-hmm. How do we create that trust with you? Right. right so now it's on your, on the app. You get to see that your food came from exactly this farm. And it was the fact picked that, here then. And the conditions were this. The fact that we know that, mm-hmm. and then you, it creates a level of trust for you. And you think consumers care about that? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think consumers really care where they're from. Rather than from. just shovel whatever the hell's in their they mouth. They care as long, especially if we can show you that where it comes from matters for your health, for the taste, and for the environment. Right. Wow. All right, to finish up, I want to talk about what do you think food is going to look like in 10 years? Supermarkets, do they exist? Are there, you know, there's these cashierless stuff, which mm-hmm. I think is just a stunt as far as I'm concerned. Robotics delivery, there's a robotics hamburger flipper in San Francisco. What, yeah, how, I do how see do robotics. Look? I see robotics as being something real in food. Okay, um, with the wage pressure you have in food, mm-hmm. what people are doing are passing that price right now on mm-hmm. to consumers. There's going to be a point where you, can't. where you cannot pass that on to consumers and wage for, you know, imagine a world with $20 minimum wage. Right. So how do you do how mm-hmm. do you do that? Not all parts will be robotic, but mm-hmm. there will be certain it will as. be kitchen assist. It will be a kitchen assisted. There will just be you'll have to get more efficient if you think about like your clothes that used to mm-hmm. all be made by hand and now you don't really think right. twice that right. a lot of them are assembled by machines. Mm-hmm. And so there's still things you can't do with food for a long time, for, for a while in terms of like the art of it, mm-hmm. of like the final composition, but there's parts of it that can be that can be Such automated. As. For us, assembly could probably be automated. Right. Right, like parts of it, and then you may need a f- someone to finish it and make sure the av- avocado fans and the dressing comes on nicely. The avocado fans—that's a key part. Yeah, avoc- <laughs> There's things. Avocado that- fanning is an art form. <laughs> but, and then the service piece will not go away. Hospitality will not go away. Mm. But how do we create better jobs 
for our team members. Yeah, that's the thought. And allow them to do Without more. it being rote. With, exactly. Yeah, I keep telling everyone, no, any rote job will not exist. And that's, working in a restaurant is, is really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. We, you know, I, I work in the restaurant, you know, at least five times a year with every menu change. And it's it's a very difficult job. How do we make it easier so our, so they can kind of go up and be work in a more creative and service-oriented place? Um, other things around food. I do, do think food will become personalized. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that your media is person, is becoming yeah. personalized and you see now Netflix is going to let you choose your own show, mm-hmm. right, based off of all the types of stuff you like to see even mm-hmm. within your show, they're going right. to take you down. Right. The fact that food is completely like you have three options, like the value meal, I one, agree. two, three, or four. Right. That makes no sense because let's use kale as an example. Everyone, Always use kale as an example. Right. <laughs> people think kale is good for you. I love kale. It's good for some people. Yeah. Oh, it is. It makes you feel good. Some people, it makes, it makes them feel bloated really? and terrible. Mm. How do we create food that is personalized both in taste and in feeling mm-hmm. to individual customers. Wow. Right? When you, go on to, when you go on to Amazon, it knows exactly what you want. It does. It knows where you are and it's what you terrifying. want. How come your your food is just like, there's this constant like indecision of food? How mm-hmm. I get the stress around food decisions. Yeah. You ever like think about how many times a day or a week you're like, right. what should we right eat? Now. What should we eat? Right. Uh, when you see the big menu, you're like, oh, I don't know what I want. That's why people love- My answer is always oysters. Huh? <laughs> That's why people love that these like- That cannot be computerized. These chef, the, the, where you go to a restaurant and there's a menu and there's like, there's one thing. It's so liberating. It when is. They're like, eat there's this. several restaurants in California like right? that. Like this, where the, chef, or the omakase where it says, yeah. okay, just, just shut up and eat. Like, right. I know this is how it's supposed to be done. Right. How do we do that at scale? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. All right, last question. Are you profitable? We are. And you hope to go public? Is that the goal? I wouldn't call it a goal, uh, but it may be it, it may be another step on the journey um, as we look to build a really, really big company. And then become the Starbucks, be, be like a Starbucks. And then you'll run for president like Howard Schultz, right? I hope he does it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, thank you so much, Jonathan. This is really interesting. I'm here actually at the Sweet Greens headquarters, right? This yeah. Is, this is this where is, this is, we call it the Treehouse. So this is where you're you moved from Washington. You don't yeah. stay in Washington D.C. Yeah. You've moved here our to California. Our headquarters. It's a beautiful is, area called Culver City in California. Are most where are your employees just all over the place? Then uh, all over, but mostly here. This is this is where most of our our, our core team is. Right. Do it. Anyway, it's lovely here. I am very excited to be here, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all. For for listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Please tell a friend about the show. If you want to say hi, you can tweet at me at Kara Swisher. On Twitter, Jonathan, where can people follow you for your bits, food, knowledge, and things like that? Are you not on Twitter? No. Oh, man. Jonathan. <laughs> All no, right. I stay at Sweet Green. I stay. I personally stay off social media. Do you? It's, is that advice helps, from that Steve Case? It man. helps me. It helps my mind. And I hate when Steve Case is right. That's all I got to say. <laughs> um, now that you're done with this, go and check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Deco. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. 